to our vision as a church. In January, uh, Philip and Ryan and Darwin and Steve and Jacob all met together for a holiday to work on vision, direction. Uh, it's the first of many meetings we're planning, and then to bring that into the session and for us to <clears throat> work through some issues together. And I would call what you see on page nine <clears throat> just a little rough draft, okay? <clears throat> because really this is the first time the session is hearing this as well, so it definitely is a rough draft. But uh, I thought it would be helpful, we all did, to set this before you and to give you a little feel for what we intend and, and why we're doing this. But as our reading, breaking from Luke, we're still going to say in Luke, but Luke's uh, book of Acts. Okay, so same author, different book. Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse uh, 37. And you'll find this, excuse me, on page 910, 910, if you'd like to use the book that's in the chair or the pew, the Bible that's there. Now, this is an account of what happened after the first sermon preached after Christ's resurrection. And especially after the sending of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. This occurs on the day of Pentecost. It's 40 days after Christ has risen from the dead. And this is the day in which the Holy Spirit was poured out upon his church. And in the midst of all of the tongues and declarations in so many languages of the praises of God... And people wondering what's going on. Are these people drunk, etc.? Peter stands and preaches a sermon, basically demonstrating that what you see is a result of Christ Jesus being exalted at the right hand of Father, the Christ that you crucified. Okay, that's basically the message that 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 the one who you crucified is none other than the Messiah who is at the right hand of God, and it's proven by what you see poured out. In these people. So you can see verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. But now we're going to focus on the reaction. And the aftermath you might say. Now when they heard this they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles. Brothers what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise. That is the promise of the spirit is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3000 souls. 
And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, bless us that your spirit may so dwell in us that we will manifest this vigorous life in Christ in our fellowship, in our ministry, in our worship. And Lord, that you may be not only lifted up within our midst, but that more and more will be added to our number who as well are crowding to glorify our Lord Jesus as we sang. Oh Lord, bless us that we will be effective as a light in the darkness. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Does everybody have the sheet that was handed out? Anybody need it? Everybody? It looks like everybody has it. Okay. Um, I want you first to turn on the back of your bulletin at the top. This is the general statement of our vision as a church. Nurturing a joy for loving God and loving people by proclaiming, believing, and living out the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we take love God and love uh, your neighbor as the summary of the whole Bible as Jesus sets forth in Matthew 22. We've added the aspect of joy because we know how critical joy is to love, how joy uh, makes love sincere and energetic uh, and full of grace to those who receive it. But we know all of this can only be accomplished through the gospel of Christ as it's proclaimed, as it's believed, as it's lived out. So that's basically the summary of our vision. And what you have on page 9 is a kind of encapsulation of it. It's a way to get at it and to perhaps make it uh, more into an action-oriented vision. Uh, to make it definitive, to help set a course, to help set specific direction because of it. And as you will see, these statements require commitment on your part. For instance, number two, we carve out a life together. And it demands the question, are you carving out that life with us? How are you contributing to carving out a life together? And at the end, we pray and work for the peace of the city. This includes everything from evangelism to good works to mercy to kindness, 
to our interaction with people day by day. And city is not just taken as the city of Fort Worth, though of course it's included, but it means the world too as well. The, we work, we pray and work for the peace of the city. Uh, but as I'll, I'll get to, well, I'll, I'll give you an example of uh, how this um, can, that, well, this, this as it is then gives some very specific things for us. Are you praying and working for the peace of the city? How are you working for the peace of the city? It takes the vision of we bring people to Jesus or we evangelize or we try to do good to a specific advance. We're trying to advance Christ's cause to affect this city. We pray for that. We work for that. So this this makes this general statement of proclaiming and believing and living out the gospel uh, very specific. And it underscores it with commitment. You can ask, are you doing this? What are the specific ways you are doing this? How are you doing this? How are you carving out the life with us? How are you praying and working for the peace of the city? And in a way, if we're not working for the good of this city, what are we doing? You know, what are we doing for this world? If we're not working in ministering to our neighbors and involved in mercy and evangelism in specific ways, how are we doing this? It demands, you know, an answer to this. I would say also that these give a little bit of street cred, okay? And that it communicates something to somebody on the outside without a bunch of spiritual language. Um, It helps unbelievers perhaps understand something of what we're about, kind of meets them halfway in terms that they can understand and perhaps even in attractive terms. I'll give you a specific example. I almost said this too early, but um, I've been challenged by a black pastor. Uh, I was challenged some months ago when there was a incident where uh, an African-American was arrested and there was at least the question of police brutality or abuse of power. And he challenged me and said, why were only black pastors down there? Why was there no white pastor? Well, at first I was kind of like, you know, but then, of course, a lot of questions come to mind. Well, one, I don't know who did what down there. I don't know if the police were guilty. I don't know if he was guilty. I can't sort it all out. I can't go down there and protest this or that because I don't know what happened. Of course, that can also be a way for me to say, I can't get involved. All right. But as we talked about this phrase that we tried to craft a little bit, just say, I walk down there and I have on my T-shirt, we pray and work for the peace of the city. I could walk in there. I could walk in there and say, I may not know anything about this, but this is what I'm about. And if I can be a part of that, if I can be an instrument of that in this situation, if I can speak in any way or act in any way to promote the peace of the city, I'm here. See, that really clicked with me. It really helped me see that these things, the, the, the way this is expressed has It gives me traction in very difficult situations right here where the gospel could manifest itself. 
And in those situations, how important for the gospel as we understand it, as we really believe the full weight of the gospel for that to, you know, be brought to bear in a situation that is so uh, difficult. And so if you take your sheet, I've uh, broken this down. And as you can see, the first point is what I'm majoring on in the next to uh, follow. But part of that is because the enjoyment of God must permeate the other two. The enjoyment of God must permeate carving out our life together. In fact, I had a whole section on that. I just couldn't squeeze it in. I had to put everything on front and back of one sheet. And this obviously is mainly a take home for you to go home and meditate on these things and pray through them. But the enjoyment of God generates my enjoyment of my brothers and sisters, my life with each other. I do have a section of that, though. I did did include that. Enjoy our fellowship in Christ and enjoy one another's good toward the... no, that's no that that's what I didn't. But I did have a whole section because there's so much in the New Testament about the joy that you have in each other's lives. I'm getting myself confused here. Um, so, uh, and then and then as well, we pray and work for the peace of the city. Basically, we're we're seeking to praise God to others. It says we've been brought out of darkness into light so that we could proclaim the excellencies of him. We can't proclaim the excellencies of him unless you are actively enjoying him and delighting in him. Um, That's this this stance of the song fullness of joy In your presence, there's fullness. There's fullness of joy at your right hand. There's goodness, boundless goodness forevermore. I choose you, Lord. That's the heart of enjoying God and expecting that joy in the future. And what do we want others to do? But what we sang, that crowds may be pressing, bringing glory to thee. I love, love that phrase at the end of give reviving. To thyself may crowds be pressing, bringing glory unto thee. We see they're going to be enjoying God along with us, pressing toward him to bring him happy glory and to honor and, and admire him in their response to him. And what do we pray for in our confession? And in all of this, you can see how Jacob has crafted this around our uh, sermon Take away from me the heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh, a heart to love and adore thee, a heart to delight in thee, to follow and to enjoy thee. So I'm majoring on it because it really infiltrates every single thing we do. It really is a way to describe our whole life. And that's why the catechism question. That we are to, our whole purpose is to glorify and enjoy God. And many of you know John Piper's version of that, to glorify God by enjoying him forever. That this is the the way that we bring honor to him is our joy in him. And so I want to put this bug in your ear, but more put this bug in your heart to see life in terms of enjoying God. 
This really defines us, as I say here. What is the kingdom of God? It's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what the kingdom of God is. That's what we're to be about. As Philippians says, that we do it always. Or as Psalm 34, I'll bless the Lord at all times. But I want to ask you, these, these are just a few of the questions to ask or to challenge yourself. Are you enjoying his presence day by day? Do you gain joy from the knowledge that he is with you? My heart is glad, the psalmist says. My whole being rejoices because I know you are present with me. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. And so we can begin asking that question. Do I believe in the promise of his presence that he is with me and he's with me to do me good? And and am I enjoying that? I like the word enjoy because it's this active thing. You know, Am I taking happiness in that? It's, it's an active choice on your part and my part. It's a purposeful, intentional thing. You must choose to make your day a day of enjoying God. Do you enjoy his refuge, as it says? Notice, blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Let the righteous one rejoice and take refuge in him. In the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. And in Psalm 27, what shall I fear? What, of what shall I be afraid? But I... For me, many times prayer is it's a struggle to get to that point where you lay hold of his presence, you lay hold of his promise, you lay hold of his character, and you really believe I'm in the refuge of God. He has he has given me refuge, the refuge of forgiveness, the refuge of favor, the refuge of his promise that he's going to be with me in this and the promise that he will be working in this situation, the promise of his purpose in this situation. All those kind of make up that refuge, but it's hard to get there. It's hard to get there. But are you enjoying? He's, he is your refuge. Are you enjoying him as your refuge? Is this part of the delight that you have? And of course, his word. I heard, I heard a real interesting statistic. It gives the millions of people that would die, that die every year because, not because they eat bad things, but because they don't eat good things. Like in the world, millions who don't eat enough fruit, who don't eat enough Vegetables, yeah, eat your vegetables, right? And then another one is nuts and seeds. And they did this experiment where they gave people a half a pound of nuts every day, every week to eat. And he said they were very faithful to eat their nuts because they were free. (laughs) They wouldn't have gone and bought them because nuts can sometimes be expensive. But he said this is the way they did the test is give them nuts and the and the figures on their blood and uh, blood pressure and all that were just tremendous. I mean, in the improvement because they ate their nuts. They enjoyed those nuts. They were provided for them. God has provided his word for you and it is free. He provided his word for you. 
And he provides it for your nourishment to build you up, to equip you with promises, to give you hope, to to encourage you, to strengthen you, to make you a person that is able to give yourself away to others and enrich their lives. Everything good comes from this word. Are you enjoying these people? You know, you can just see them munching on those nuts every day. Uh, you know, maybe they finished their half a pound early because <laughs> it was they were just so good. That, that, that should be our attitude. Enjoying this word, enjoying this word. And you see these statements about that. Look at that one, verse 162. I rejoice in your word like one who finds great spoil. Now, I don't want to put that as a burden on you, but I want to throw that out as a hopeful thing that by God's grace, we could long for God's word like that. We could take that kind of joy. We could start getting such nourishment and benefit that, that we can say the same things the psalmists do. That I delight to do your will. I don't always do it perfectly, and many times I don't, but there's this thing in me that's beginning to delight to do your will. So you can go down the list. You're taking joy in his salvation. That is, you're taking joy that you're justified, that you're forgiven, that he has redeemed you, that he is working in your life, that you are his workmanship. And, And I would say about this, the reason I put salvation is, this this is connected with his word because you, by getting into his word, are constantly exploring the many ways he saved you and all that he's done for you in Christ, which we have to enjoy, but we can't enjoy it unless we're just exploring all the rich treasure that is ours in Christ and to rejoice in it. And this strengthens us. As it says at the very top, it is the joy of the Lord that is your strength. That's your strength for obedience. That's your strength for love. That's your strength for transformation. Is this joy in Him. And it doesn't stop short, even in affliction and persecution. And I've only included some of the passages But over and over, count it joy when you meet trials. We rejoice in our sufferings. I'm overflowing with joy in our affliction. And then the last one there, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Does it take away the affliction? Does not mean that we don't grieve and we don't cry out to God? And many times even cry out how long or why? But he... He he brings us joy in him, even in suffering and in persecution. How can Jesus say that in Matthew 5? Blessed are you when you are reviled and persecuted. And then he says, this is Jesus, rejoice and be glad. So there is a joy to be had in the midst of persecution. And of course, at the bottom, these are just things to pray for, right? May the God of hope fill you with all joy. That's a prayer for all of us to pray, for ourselves, for our church. Psalm 51, when when you're lagging, as we will this week, (laughs) lag in joy, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me. And then one of my all-time 
if you can have those favorite passages. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. And this, this doesn't touch on so many things. What about talking about enjoying his creation, right? Admiring his creativity and power and wisdom, his thoughtfulness, his sheer brilliance and intelligence. See every experience as a personal, active gift from God to you. You see that sunset and your ability to see the red as God personally saying, hey, what about that one? Not going to be the same tomorrow. This is the one you get to see right now in this place. Taking all your experience of creation as this personal interaction with God. That you're enjoying him in it. Culture, every good part of it is given by God. For your happiness and relief and refreshment and satisfaction, your exhilaration, your edification, your encouragement, your improvement, your comfort, your entertainment, your enlightenment, your instruction. God is involved in all of that. Enjoy him in the enjoyment of legitimate culture. Don't separate these things from your enjoyment of God. Enjoy him in it. Enjoy his sovereignty, his plan and purpose for you. Enjoy hope. How many things has he given us to put our hope in for the future of the resurrection and the new creation? Enjoy the fellowship and friendship we have in Christ. Paul talks about the joy that he has in his brothers and sisters. And the joy that you take in others good. Rejoice with those that rejoice. If one rejoices, all rejoice with him. Enjoy generosity. (laughs) He loves a cheerful giver. You see, there's not one thing in your life that can't be brought under this rubric, under this umbrella. And it really is a challenging and, and I think invigorating question. Talk about adding, and this maybe sounds shallow, but adding Rich spice and energy to your life, vigor and depth and encounter with with God in the midst of your life. It doesn't mean that every day, you know, it's just going to be this, but because it is a struggle and it's something you grow in. But over the next days and weeks and months and years to delve more and more deeply to bring everything under uh, this and to be living all of life in the presence of God. And so, as I said, mainly I wanted to talk about that, but I did want to at least set before you these other two points on the backside of us carving out life together and praying and working for the peace of the city. I think, uh, of course, carving out life together would be Basically including, in one sense, the whole of the Bible. But notice Hebrews 10. Consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Now what if every single one of us was asking that one question. How can I help stir my brothers and sisters up to love and good works? What am I doing 
for that? How am I carving out a life with them so that that would happen? Notice you can't neglect meeting together, but what? Encouraging one another. And that follows in the next section or the next passage. Uh, Take care. Notice the close watch on each other, keeping up with each other, lest there be in any of you, either in myself or in my brothers and sisters, an evil, unbelieving heart. But what? Exhort one another every day as long as it's called today. What's today? Today. Okay. This is the day you do it. <laughs> what about tomorrow? This is, the, this is the day you do it. Every day. Every day. This is what we're about. So that none of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We see just in those first two passages, carving out that life together. Where we are encouraging, we're exhorting, we're stirring one another up. We're involved in each other's lives. You can see how uh, in your face kind of First Thessalonians 5 is admonish the idle, encourage the faint hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. And then the other statements about love and involvement. But this is a great challenge. And I would say again, it's a great function of enjoying God. There is no true enjoyment of God until it begins or and only as it exhibits itself in your active enjoyment and involvement in his people. It must spill out and demonstrate in a true joy with his people. So I would connect this number two with those statements on the other side that talk about joy in his people right that joy in his people and then we carve out this life and then finally we pray and work for the peace of the city notice the last phrase in jeremiah 29 seek the welfare this is to i'm sorry this is to the jews when they're going to be scattered among the nations so that's our situation and we're called pilgrims repeatedly in the new testament we're scattered among the nations scattered in the city And so in that similar situation, seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile or the peace or shalom of the city. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. And then you can see how much of that is contained in the New Testament statements. Notice in Romans 12, the last phrase, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all, with everybody. So, yeah, I'm working for the welfare and the peace. I'm, I'm trying to live peaceably with every single person. Uh, not repaying evil for evil in both that one and 1 Thessalonians 5. Notice uh, in 1 Thessalonians, always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Same thing in Titus. Here we are living peaceably. Uh, we're not... Uh, we're, we're, we're being submissive to rulers and authorities, being obedient. We're being ready for every good work, speaking evil of no one, avoid quarreling, being gentle, show perfect courtesy toward all people. The first Thessalonians talks about work, how important that is so that we don't uh, gain a bad reputation because we don't work and we're lazy. First Peter two talks about keeping our conduct honorable even when we're being persecuted and treated and regarded as evildoers so that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. 
Matthew 5, 2, also in the context of persecution. You're a light. Let them see your good deeds. And, of course, Matthew 28 is the command to uh, make the gospel known and make disciples of the world. But you see, the context for Matthew 5 in the New Testament is this life of seeking the peace of the city. And so it... It, it gives this direction for us. It, it makes us ask. It makes the deacons ask. It makes the elders ask. What are we doing in the way of active, collective op, uh, work to do things to accomplish good in the city? What are we doing? How are we doing it? Thankfully, Wednesday night, Super Wednesday, that to me is an excellent example of working for the peace of the city. Where we have 80 kids from down the street in our church with a whole slew of people working, both cooking, leading people, doing recreation, uh, in order that we might minister the gospel to these children. And we can multiply those things out. How about working for the peace of the city by being involved in Pregnancy Lifeline? Trying to bring peace in this situation trying to help bring reconciliation and peace so that a family will not abort, but to keep this child. What a glorious work of peace in the city. And that they see thousands every year uh, brought to Christ, thousands who uh, adopt, uh, who keep their children and, and save, they save children. Our uh, mentoring Kids Hope uh, working for the peace of children who don't have uh, good home lives, many of them. And so we're trying to bring peace and shalom into their life. So you see, this everything kind of can fit under this rubric and give amazing, I think, wonderful direction to our church. I want to close with, surprisingly, a comic. Not surprisingly for me, but surprising maybe that I would bring this. This is the comic Pearls Before Swine, which I've never read much. Everybody knows on the Sunday paper it recently took the place of Parinas, right? Who knows that? I'm the only person that knows that. Okay, I'm a complete weirdo. I got it. It's the very last comic of the funnies that I alone am looking at. <laughs> How do they even afford them, right? If nobody's looking at them. But um, this little pig, who I don't know who he is, he's climbing up a stump, and it says, tree stump of deep thought you're not usually capable of. Okay? So apparently this is unusual for the, uh, the, the, the strip. So he's standing up there, And listen to what he says, and this is a comic. No one knows what we're here, we're doing here. Some have faith that they do, but no one knows. So we're scared. We're alone. And we end, and we don't know where to go. Where we go. We end, and we don't know where we go. In other words, we don't know what happens to us after we die. So we cling to money for comfort and we chase awards for immortality and we hide in the routine of our days. But then the night, always the night, which 
when it has you alone, whispers that maybe none of this has any significance. It's funny so far, isn't it? (laughs) Notice what he says then. So, love everyone you're with, because comforting each other on this journey, we neither ask for nor understand, is the best that we can do. Gets off the stump, stump sits there, he he sticks his face back in, he says, and laugh as much as you can. (laughs) You see, if this this is the world being honest... And then they hear us at least speaking some kind of language to say, well, we're carving out a life together and we're praying for, we're seeking the good of the city. And then maybe they want to hear, what's this enjoying God that brings real meaning and purpose, which undergirds everything with this sweetness and glory that they might come to know if we shine as lights into their life. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you for what you've called us to. Called us to a life in your presence. Called us to a life in your presence with one another. Called us into a life in your presence as we turn outward and seek to draw others that they might crowd around you to glorify, that they might press in to find enjoyment in this gracious God. Oh, Lord, bless us as a church. Bless us that we will vigorously seek you this week, vigorously work uh, at resting in you and and discovering and, and finding delight in you, actively delighting in you this week, and that this would... Refresh us and enlarge our hearts and free us to give ourselves to each other and to those outside. Lord, may this be an ongoing work in our lives. Grip us, Lord, with yourself. Grip us with the Lord Jesus Christ, who at such a pain of death brought us to the place where we could enjoy God in which we could be light in this dark world. Oh, bless us, Lord, for your name's sake. Amen.